In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. I'm going to do something this morning that I almost never do, and that's because if you were here last week or you were following along at home last week, you know that I sort of preached about this gospel last week because it's the second half of the story we heard in the gospel last week. And for me, I, I've always wanted those two halves to be sort of pushed together. It doesn't make sense to me that we cut the story in half. So instead of really dwelling on the gospel this morning, which is normally what I do, we are going to spend some time together dwelling on the epistle. The epistle. Words that I think most of us have heard a couple of times, at least before. Words that St. Paul writes to explain to us the wonders of love. Perhaps you've heard them at weddings, maybe your own wedding, maybe other weddings that you've gone to where folks like to listen to this text. And, and there's some good reasons why maybe people like to use this at weddings, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not arrogant or rude. These are certainly things to strive for right? There's certainly good things to, to work for in a marriage, but St. Paul did not write this about marriage. In fact, that couldn't be further from the truth. The Apostle Paul doesn't believe in marriage. Not really. <laughs> and so it's always been very ironic to me that people love to hear this at weddings because it couldn't possibly be the last thing that the Apostle Paul is talking about. Now, Paul gets a lot of things right, but there's a couple of things that he gets wrong. And one of them is that he was convinced that Jesus was coming back yesterday. Okay? He was convinced that Jesus was coming back very, very, very soon. And so his general stance on marriage was, you really shouldn't. There's really no reason to do it because Jesus is coming back and you should be busy about the work of Jesus until, until he comes back, which is going to be in like 20 minutes, according to Paul. He kind of says in his writing, you know, like, look, if you really have to, it's fine. You can. It's okay to get married. But if you can avoid it and be about the work of Jesus instead, that's really a better, holier thing to do. And so it always cracks me up that we hear this text at weddings. First paragraph, I can do all of these great things. I can be really smart. I can have everything I want. I can have all the power and all the privilege. But if I don't have love, I have nothing. Now that's pretty easy for us to decipher, right? What does it mean to have love, do you think? Is it about receiving love? Is it about giving love? Is it our, about our ability to know love and to share it? Then we go into all of these sort of characteristics about love, and this is the part that we all know, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Okay. Love never ends. So that's the key. This whole passage 
is about the fact that God's perfect love for us never ends. And to a certain extent, it's about the fact that if we can harness that love, if we can share it, if we can make it something that's relevant and concrete in our lives, then we can help to create something, too, that is eternal, something else that never ends. But think about it. What in life never ends? Is there anything? I'm willing to bet you have enough fingers on one hand to count the number of things in your life that never end, that never change, that never shift. Everything changes. Everything shifts. Everything moves. Days end. Seasons end. Relationships. Friendships. Everything changes and everything moves. So what is it really that never ends? The only thing, the only person we know that never ends is God. And so in the, in the Apostle Paul's writing this morning, we have this sort of kinship between the idea that God, as we know God, is the only one without a beginning and without an end, and God's very being is made of love. And so this love can also never end. There's good news in that for us, and there's good news in this passage from Paul about the fact that we are beloved, right? This is where so much of our sense of being special in the eyes of God comes from. We get some of it in the reading from Jeremiah, too, that Ella just read so well. It's in the psalm as well, that at the beginning of time, God knew us, knew that we would be. God called us beloved and unique and made a role and a place just for us. It's the promise that there are plans for us, plans that God longs to fulfill, plans that are for the good for all of us. There's more good news here than that. One of the reasons we actually are appointed to hear this lesson at funerals is because of that line, love never ends. It should remind us when we come to the grave, particularly for someone that we love and see no longer, that when we have shared that eternal sort of love that isn't about a particular kind of relationship, but is actually about the energy of God between us, that that love never ends. It doesn't change the loss by any means, particularly if it's one of the losses that really wound and destroy us, whether it's a a spouse or a parent or a child. But it does offer us some hope, hope that this is not all there is, hope that love truly never dies, and so that that love that we shared must be somewhere, that God has gathered it in, that it never ends. It should remind us, too, of our own death, with which we must contend, all of us, and the hope that if love never ends and God's very being is love, then surely God has stored something else up for each of us. The tricky part about this text and the way that it's paired with Jeremiah and with the Gospel of Luke today is that we have two different examples in Jeremiah and in Jesus of this love. And Jeremiah is the easier example, truthfully. Jesus doesn't totally jive with what we're hearing from Paul this morning. So let's start with Jeremiah. This exchange between God and Jeremiah is a hopeful and loving one, where God says, I've had plans for you from before you were born, and Jeremiah says, 
but I'm just me. <laughs> I'm just me. You don't really mean that about me, right? And they go back and forth, and God seems to say, yes. You, just you, the way that you are. I have plans for you that are good for you and will be good for everyone else. And so the good news for us in that is that God has the same plans and intention for us. That there is nothing that can take us away from those plans if we will put ourselves and our life into the love of God. Give ourselves over. That there are good things stored up, good things for us, good things for our people, good things for our community. That love that we hear also about in the psalm is is sensitive and permanent. It's something we can hold on to and it's comforting, particularly on a day like this when, you know, it's kind of cold outside. There's a lot going on in the world. This is the refrain of God's love that we can hold on to. The trickier part is what Jesus is doing in the gospel and identifying that as love as well. Because it sounds like Jesus and Paul are a little bit out of joint here, right? Jesus is kind of almost picking a fight with people in his hometown. He's fierce this morning. He's edgy. And he's kind of right on the edge with people, kind of pushing them into an awareness, frankly, that they're not really ready for yet. But this is love, too. It may not be exactly how Paul is conceiving of love at this particular moment in his writing and in his life when he's trying to keep the community at Corinth together who are struggling with that, like every family, like every church, right? There's always these little tensions and these little sort of push and pull conversations and Paul is addressing that. But Jesus' love this morning is fierce. It's different. And what he's doing, actually, is insisting that love also can be something that is strong and powerful, that calls out injustice, that moves us toward being better people, that calls us to a place of paying attention to the places where we're wrong, where we have yet to see, where we have yet to grow. And ultimately, that's what he's pushing on with these folks in his hometown, that he wants them to grow, to be different. And this, too, is what love can be. So the question for us still is how we try to have this love, as Paul says. And it's a tricky question. We can learn from Jeremiah, who is brave and ultimately goes on and has a long life. We think of him as one of the greatest prophets there ever was. We also occasionally call him the weeping prophet because his road was not an easy one. He goes on a journey with God. He gives himself over. There are highs and lows. But it's not always easy for him. And then we can look at Jesus, who shows us, I think, in his life, if we expand out from just this gospel, that he who is love incarnate does, in fact, hope all things, believe all things, and endure all things. He endures even death on a cross so that we might know that love can never be killed, that love will never die, that it never ends, that it always has the last word, and that there is always new life, even when we think it is impossible. 
So this morning, I would invite you to think about the presence of God's love in your life. Where does it challenge you? Where does it push you? Where does it comfort you? Is it possible that you, like Jeremiah, are pushing back a little bit and saying, no, God, you can't really love me. You can't really mean me. It's okay. If Jeremiah did it, so can we. And yet, when Jeremiah gives himself over, there's so much more for him to do. So if that's you, I encourage you to find a way to give yourself over to this love that never dies, this love that is persistent, that follows you, that waits for you, that is already looking for your healing. And if you think you've got that down, then look at the example of Jesus and let love push you. Let Jesus be a little edgy and push you in the direction of a truth that is hard of work that we all must do. And remember, if you hear nothing else in this sermon, that if you can hold on to that one sentence that love never ends, then you can hold on to those you love and the promise of your own eternal life. Love cannot be lost, and it never dies. Amen. Amen.